hello and happy new year from Relative Pitch. Oh my gosh, we are in 2024, the first episode of the year. Let's let's give a round of applause for 2024. First of all, we made it somehow. I don't know. But we are super excited to start the year off um, with an amazing guest, Dr. Stephen Price. Um, Stephen Price it just recently joined uh, the faculty of University of Washington and is the inaugural ooh, Paul B. Fritz Faculty Fellow and Artist in Residence in Oregon Performance. Um, Dr. Price, we are so excited to have you with us today. Thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And it was just funny because we were just talking off camera about like how the first time we met was in the copy room and then kind of we just started talking and here you are. So my advice to all you students out there, go copy things, <laughs> go <laughs> put yourself in the common areas because you never know what cool faculty members you'll have just like walking about, you know. Um, well, Dr. Price, I I have read so much about you and you have such an amazing like background and educational career and like so just tell us a little bit about yourself before we jump in. Yes, yeah, so I, I'm new here in the Pacific Northwest. I just moved to Seattle in July for the artist in residence and organ performance position at the University of Washington. Prior to coming to Seattle, I taught for five years at Ball State University, home of Dave Letterman um, in Muncie, Indiana. Um, in fact, Dave Letterman created the shirt. I went to the Harvard of Indiana. So, <laughs> and uh, he comes back every year. He's a celebrity. Um, uh, prior to that, I had a full-time church job in San Diego at First United Methodist Church, Mission Valley, San Diego. And then prior to that, I was working on my coursework for the doctorate degree in organ performance at the Jacobs School of Music um, at Indiana University. And I got my master's from there as well. Um, and I'm originally from Buffalo, New York, from the East Coast. Um, has spent a lot of time on the East Coast and the Midwest, so I'm learning about how to now become a Pacific Northwesterner, you know, so, yeah. Buy a Subaru. <laughs> oh my gosh, no, I mean, we are obviously lovers of the East Coast on this podcast, specifically also the Southeast, but, you know, we just align with any East Coasters whatsoever. Yeah, we do. Um, we yes. Do. Well, it's so interesting because Oregon right i mean this is like i i think oregon when i think about oregon i immediately think about church and you already just mentioned how one of your latest positions was at uh was it first united methodist in san diego yeah i know that you have a background in church music can you talk a little bit about how that translated into you going into it as a profession it's where i was exposed to the instrument mm. It was my first introduction to the instrument. I grew up in a Baptist church in Buffalo, New York, and every Sunday they had a different worship style. So I was drawn to the more classical anthems and the reading of the music and the hymns and um, the minister of music, Marguerite Robinson. She was my piano teacher and she arranged to give me free lessons in exchange that I assist her on Sundays at the church. And then the church created like a scholarship fund for me. So they didn't pay me directly. <laughs> went into this fund that I could that I could then use for college and it was a very supportive atmosphere just all, all around but that's that was my first introduction I was drawn to the instrument I would sit in the front row by myself 
like a weirdo, <laughs> just to watch her play, <laughs> you know? Um, and then I decided pretty early on, by the time I was a teenager, that I wanted to major in organ. So um, I have a colleague here in Seattle who says, the organ is the type of instrument where it chooses you. Mm. And after he said that, I, I, I thought to myself, you know, I think there's some truth into that because it's just not an instrument where you are normally exposed outside of the church. You may see it in a concert hall. Yeah. But other than that, it's not something that people are just normally exposed to compared to um, the piano, mm -hmm. the other keyboard instrument, you know. I just look at the organ and I'm like, you know, you had me until you tell me to move my feet because I just be clunking into stuff. Mm -hmm. And I, I played a recent service in downtown Atlanta and there was a couple of times where the organ just like hit the organ, some like the pedals. And we're like, ooh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that turn it off. <laughs> Actually, that's a really interesting thing because for viewers who may really not know the difference between like how to operate, like they know that's the, I think the sound and what the difference of it looks like, but for audience members who may not know the difference of the operational aspects of a piano and organ, what are like the quick facts to know about the organ? Uh, well, the organ has an additional keyboard for the feet. So it's just like the keyboard for the hands, but the pedals are much bigger, the foot pedals, and you play them with the feet. Mm -hmm. And then no two organs are alike. There's no standardization. Each instrument is customized based off of the space and based off of the function. So some organs have one keyboard, and then one of the largest instruments um, in the US um, in the Macy's department store in Philadelphia has six keyboards. Oh, wow. And then there's one even larger in Atlantic City Hall. So um, every instrument is different. Um, and then you have different sound combinations that you can get from the different instrument, uh, different instruments. And that's very important when you're trying to choose registrations for your pieces that you're going to play. So there is a lot more um, variety in color and in sound. But then it's also a full body workout because... Um, you're playing simultaneously with your hands and your feet at the same time. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, with organ, so a lot of the organ music that I think a lot of people are exposed to is church music. And I know as we all went to college, some colleges have the church music degree. It, it, was that your undergraduate experience in church music or, or was it organ performance? You know, how was that? Yeah, so um, my undergraduate degree was in organ performance. I, in fact, all of my degrees were in organ performance, but mm -hmm. I was fortunate to have an organ scholar position, which is a part-time job. And I played every Sunday and then I went to weekly rehearsals and worked with the director of music and then trained further in the Episcopalian tradition. So even though it wasn't church music, I was getting that practical experience. Right. And then at Indiana University, they do have that, that distinction between organ performance and church music. Mm -hmm. But no matter your track, they expose all of the organists to church music classes. Some of them are even required. Mm. Um, so, but I say I probably came at it from more of a... Um, practical approach and the experience itself of working in churches um, and then the added of the academic approach as well. Mm. Nice. When you first, I mean, and I, I'm thinking about like kind of same for me, my own journey of like when I knew that I just didn't want to perform or play for fun. I also wanted to do it 
like as a career and moving forward and especially for Oregon, like my flute, me and her, we can pack up and go anywhere, right? (laughs) In a way, I was like, oh, this makes a lot of sense. Like I can do this. And so like for, and I think about it the same for like bass, for harp, but I think Oregon takes the cake in terms of hardest instrument to move around (laughs) at a, in a small amount of time. So like the practicality of it, how what was that like growing up and and knowing that okay i have to practice it like do you have an organ at home like is that normal for people to have organs in their homes <laughs> so you bring up a really good point um if i can just have a, a little anecdote before answering the question when COVID hit mm. uh, many administrators and at universities i don't think real you know they didn't realize i just can't pack this up put this on my back Right. And carry it to my room if I need to practice. I need actual access to the instrument. And in fact, um, the organ professors around the country, we had sort of a quorum Zoom meeting, emergency quorum Zoom meeting where we talked about this. How can we help our students? Is there a keyboard that then has a pedal board that can be made or rented through an organ company that would be accessible that way? How can they get access to playing with their feet? In the meantime, what can you teach them in in the lessons until they can get exposure into the concert halls or the practice rooms where they are? So this is a major problem during COVID. Um, I am just used to going to the space and being by myself in a dark church with the organ light turned on on the stand, you know, and practicing. I would come home from school, catch the bus to a church and practice, you know, throughout the week. I would learn my manual parts, say on the piano, because I could do that for the hands. And the French school, they do that a lot too. They practice the manual parts on the piano. And then when I got to the organ, then I would add the pedal parts. But I am just used to being... Um, a slave to the instrument and and, and traveling. And, but as well, um, that's not always, um, I don't think debilitating to, to drawing people to the instrument because there's something neat about having time in those spaces alone. Mm-hmm. So I studied in France and I studied organ in France and all of these historic churches where, you know, Cesar Franck, mm-hmm. you know, worked and Messiaen and Saint-Saëns and Vidor, I got to spend time alone in these spaces by myself working on those instruments. And then even here for the University of Washington, the organ program is unique because we have rental contracts with iconic organs all around the city. So every day of the week for lessons and practice, I am meeting students on a different instrument somewhere in the city. Um, Another reason for that Certain organs are built to cater to specific types of repertoire. You have certain instruments that are built in the 17th, 18th century style that caters to Baroque music. You have instruments that are built in the French Romantic style, like Plymouth Church, where Lauren played. So Vidor Franck, that works so well there because of that, that would be the type of instruments they would have had. You have eclectic instruments um, that can play mostly everything. So sometimes when you're really wanting to get into the research and the performance practice and the characteristics of a certain style of genre, Baroque versus classical versus romantic versus modern, by going to a specific organ that was built to cater to that music, you can learn so much about the music. 
-hmm. So that's another reason why there are these um, differences. Mm -hmm. Wow. I just to think, because again, like a big misconception of, of, of organ players is, oh, you can just do the transferable skills between piano and organ are very close, but y'all have more things. And so uh, until you just said it, I, I don't even think it came to my brain during COVID about organ students, about it. They have to be on the instrument and those instruments, you cannot bring it to your home. Like, I don't know if you're at your house and you have an or organ back there, or is this your, your, um, your office or something? But I know majority of people will not have something like that within their homes or a practice room or somewhere. And especially during COVID, I know it was very difficult. Yes, certainly. So, I, but, okay. oh, I well, I just had a question for the students that you will go to college for Oregon. Were you in any music programs in high school, like during the day or middle school, whatever, during the day? What uh, kind of programs were you in? Um. So there was a camp at Westminster Choir College in Princeton, New Jersey, and they did a one week organ camp for high school students. So I attended that. Then there's also something called Pipe Organ Encounters sponsored by the American Guild of Organists. The American Guild of Organists um, is a national organization and it's a professional organization that has chapters set up in cities across America. So if you move to a new town and you're looking for a church job, you're looking for sub work, you're looking to connect with other organists, that's an easy way, an easy access point by joining because then you get the newsletter for the city you're in as far as all the organ activities, you get the magazines, you're kept up to date on that. that. And so they sponsor POEs, pipe organ encounters, introducing pianists to the organ as well for a week. And it's a one week boarding type of situation that happens also in the summer. So I did a, a couple of those, which were very important because it allowed me to meet other young organists. Because usually when you're starting, you're, you're sort of isolated, unless you happen to live in a city where there are multiple people playing. But I was isolated. I didn't know any young organist until I went to these camps. And some of the people I still stay in touch with <laughs> to this very day. And in fact, one of the other attendees encouraged me to apply to my undergraduate program because he was already studying with the teacher there. Man. And then that's how I applied and ended up studying with the teacher there. So it was, it's interesting how those relationships blossomed from the, those music festivals and camps. Yes. Mm -hmm. Those camps are very important. I, I can just talk from my own experience at camps and workshops. You developed, uh, you would develop a, a long-term friendships and, and collegial relationships with uh, those people um, that you'll know for 5, 10, 20 plus years. And those are your friends in the field. So those are very important opportunities. Yeah, and I want to like shift to the education aspect of, of this as well. And I want to start with like, for you, you kind of skimmed over a little bit of this amazing thing that you did called Fulbright and the exposure you had of doing Fulbright. And so I think we may have had, we may have talked about this, but specifically for people who may not know what exactly Fulbright is, can you like talk a little bit about what the process was for that? And then also what you, what your project or what you did during your Fulbright time? Yes, so this is a grant through um, the US Department of Education 
that many people apply for, the William J. Fulbright Grant, and it allows you to do research in another country and you're seen as a US ambassador at the same time. And so the grant pays for your living um, expenses and accommodation and also for your study, um, either at a university or with a specific person, uh, such as a mentor who's willing to take you under their wings for that year. And so I wanted to study French organ music. And my undergraduate program, we would do European tours every January. So that's how I was exposed. So, and every year we would go to a different country representing a different style of music. We would do Austria, South Germany one year, then we would do um, France the next year. And then we did Italy or um, then we did uh, uh, the Netherlands and North Germany the next year. And then we did central Germany and we kind of rotate. So that's how I was exposed. And my teacher, Stephen Roberts, he studied on a Fulbright in Vienna, Austria, where he studied the works of Bach. So I had that model. Um, and then um, there was a Fulbright mentee who helped me with my application where I filled out basically like a grant proposal, my essay with my proposal uh, talking about my interest in French organ music and by going to Toulouse, France, in the south of France, the conservatory still gives access to instruments that were built in the 1800s that Messiaen played and Franck played and Vidor played that are much unchanged. Um, and so as a student at the conservatory, if I were to enroll, I would have access to be able to practice on these instruments and have lessons on these same instruments um, when I'm playing the music so that I'm truly understanding the composer's perspective as far as the specific instrument they had in mind when they wrote a particular piece with the expertise of my teacher, Michelle Bouvard. Yeah, Fulbright has always interested me so much because it is such a crazy opportunity. The idea of being, being like sponsored, you are, you know, the US, your country is basically saying, we sponsor this person to go do this work. And I've just heard so many different stories from professors and mentors about their own experiences and how they use Fulbright um, within their educational like journeys. And did you do that like for, was it undergrad or was it during master's? It was a gap year after my undergrad and before my master's. Yeah. And then yeah. I received a diploma from the conservatory for uh, during that gap year. Just to make sure, you know, here's proof. <laughs> I did it. <laughs> I did it. <laughs> um, okay. I have a, maybe a stupid question. Uh, probably not because people don't know a lot about organ. Neither do I. What is the small organ that's often played with uh, the cornetto for Renaissance music? Uh, that's usually called a portative organ. Okay. And it's okay. usually one manual um, and it can be, it's portable. You can, it's easy to kind of transport. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's good for early music specifically and playing in um, Baroque ensembles or chamber ensembles. Yeah. Have you played on one of those? Yes, there are a couple uh, here in the city of Seattle. And recently the chamber choir at the University of Washington performed the Bach Magnificat. Ooh. And so Ooh. I played on the portative organ in the orchestra for that, and that was a neat experience. I bet that was, that's a high trumpet part. I would say no so quick. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, so have you, um, do you have like a favorite one that, that you personally like playing on um, throughout your entire experience? 
Um, there, there are ones that stick out in my mind. Again, Seattle is an organ mecca. So I am in the right city, the mm -hmm. right place. And there's so many iconic instruments that I knew about here in Seattle before I arrived here. Um, so uh, St. Mark's Cathedral, Plymouth with the wonderful Fisk, St. James Cathedral here in Seattle. But it's so hard to have like a, a favorite because if I'm playing a particular style of music, then I'll think of an instrument that, that will showcase that music the best as well. And, and no, no matter the organ I go to, I try to bring out the most um, beautiful colors mm -hmm. and really showcase to the audience what that instrument can do. Mm. I have a like logistical question about like when you're doing performances and recitals because so much emphasis on with specifically with organ of the style in which the organ was created to be performed on when you think about performances and recitals do you have you I'm sure that is something you have to think about but okay if I want to do a recital or a performance at this specific church or wherever you have to think about your repertoire in those terms too correct Yes, and one one um, basic concept concerning that, am I playing on an organ that has preset buttons for my registrations so that I can set my registrations and save them on that button so that when I come back the next day, all I have to do is push that button and my registrations are there so that I can make all those changes in sound on my own? Or are there no presets and do I have to have a registrant come and manually pull out the stops for me? <laughs> That's a lot more work on my part because I have to figure all that out, write that down and then practice with the registrant. And so I don't want to play a, a, a piece that's too complicated or has too many changes mm -hmm. in a case uh, on an organ that doesn't have any presets. Mm. So that's an important thing to know. Yeah, so it, it really is not just, a, oh, I'll figure it out when I get there. <laughs> no, you have to, whenever you play a recital, you usually go, I like to go maybe three days in advance mm -hmm. and I call it developing a relationship with the instrument. Mm -hmm. And hopefully on, on the day of the performance, the instrument is an old friend. <laughs> <laughs> um, that is, I've never thought about, like, I know, like, I know this is, um, like for pianists, when they're collaborating, sometimes they have the page turner. I've never thought about sometimes when you're organist, you have the person that's like going to help you do all the stops. Because I've always seen these little buttons and I always get scared because someone would do a preset and they change. I'm like, what happened? <laughs> I'm like, it sounds cool. But like, that was witchcraft. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've never seen that right. Way. And then you get into, is the instrument built in more the French romantic flavor so then if, if that's the case, then maybe German Baroque music won't work so well, or is it built in an idiom of Bach? So then if that's the case, then maybe modern music won't work so well on that. So then you also get into that too, as far as the, the color um, and the character of the instrument, the instrument itself. Because you always want to choose music that will showcase that instrument to the best of its ability, because you never know when it's someone's first time experience the organ and, and you want them to have a good experience hopefully <laughs> mm -hmm. so, so um did you always want to be a professor you know to teach was like your main goal from undergrad to perform or a mix of both i think a mix of both to perform to teach and to be a church musician 
Um, I've had such wonderful teachers. Um, I spent the longest time with my teacher at IU, Jeanette Fischel, who is a fabulous teacher, can take anyone and really transform them as far as their technique, as far as their understanding of performance practice and style, even within a style. What's the difference between the organ works of Brahms versus the organ works of Mozart versus the organ works of Mendelssohn? You know, to that a finite detail. And so she truly inspired me. And so my document, my, doc, my doctoral dissertation was on pedagogy, where I talked about that. When you get a piece, you know, how do you first place it in a style? And then what does that mean as far as your physical gestures into and out of the key to achieve the articulation you need to match the style? Mm. And so she very much inspired me with that. And I would say, because uh, I spent so much time, you know, doing that, I really, after that point, really wanted to teach even more to, to try out my ideas, right, on yeah. the students to see, um, you know, the outcome. Mm. That's that's actually the question that I was going to, it was a little bit different, but Anthony touched exactly on what I wanted to know. Like, when you are an organist, like, is is the idea that, oh, I can, I can perform, I can be like a church musician as a career, I can like teach as a career, like those, because that's really interesting, because like, I guess, like, for myself, I never thought about, oh, like, I can be a church musician for, for my career, as a flutist, even though we know that there are many churches who have, you know, full-time orchestras, and especially there's a lot of great sacred flute music, um, and I'm called for many things, but that's just, it's so funny, because that was never something that I just thought of and for you that's just so I think normal for for organists to be like oh I could literally do a job at a church, which I think is more aligned with a, you know Anthony vocalist as well like being being music directors as well of churches and having those like jobs like. I think I I don't know I guess for career wise i'm like oh yeah I guess if i'm talking to a student. Um, who's an organ student, they would be, oh yeah, I'm thinking about being a church musician. I would go, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yes, and here in Seattle, there are many churches looking for organists now. Mm. So mm. this is prime real estate here. <laughs> Calling all organists. <laughs> move, yes. move, <laughs> um, so on that, is there other like big cities that come to mind? Because you said Seattle was like a mecca for church or organs. Is there other big cities that come to mind across the United States that are like, that's a good city for organ and like all this other stuff? Um, so you said that you are in Atlanta. Yes. Mm -hmm. So Atlanta, the, the Cathedral of St. Philip, um, other, uh, there are several Presbyterian churches mm -hmm. in Atlanta. I have several friends who have full-time church music positions in Atlanta. So that scene is very vibrant with choirs and orchestras and all of that. Atlanta, um, Chicago, of course, New York City, with all of their churches, St. Patrick, St. Thomas, St. John the Divine, Boston, um, LA, um, you know, San Diego. So, um, and then of course the Midwest or anything along the Bible Belt where people are still going to church and it's very important for them to go um, um, in the traditional sense, in a mainline ma mainline church where you're going to find a pipe organ, you know. Um, so any of those uh, regions as well. Yes. Mm. And in fact, you know, it's, it's, um, it's interesting because for so long, you might find one of these churches where the organist was there for 90 years and then they pass away or what have you. 
And then the churches are then going through that process of trying to form committees or figuring out how can we preserve this tradition and keep it alive. And that's why I think organ scholar positions are so important. A person, because that's how I got started, where I was apprenticing with the current director, you know, on a regular basis, going to rehearsals with the director, sitting by their side, watching them play, playing along with them on Sunday to learn the craft, to learn the skill. It's so, so very important because then that's how you'll foster this art form of sacred music to the next generation because it doesn't just happen. You can't just push a button and someone is ready to go. There has to be a training period. There has to be a training period to learn the skill. So is that one of your like educator like missions is to maybe bring a lot of organ scholars to around Seattle and have your students when they come be like, hey, I have a really good rate of placing people as an organ scholar. Then you're going to study there on the weekends. You're going to study here and you're going to have like some on hand experience while you're studying academically. Yes. And also because Seattle has so many great church musicians, so many talented church musicians here. I mean, it's like hand and glove. I mean, who you would get to work with yeah. in the, the, the places here in Seattle and the church music programs that you become a part of that would be inform your education so much when you then go out to apply for the job, you know, having that experience already on your resume while you're in school, when you're then, you know, then when you're done be, being able to then apply for those church music positions. So yes, that is one of my missions. Mm. Um. I just like thought about something while we were talking about careers of Oregon. This could be dumb. Baseball. What like I mean, I'm being so serious. Like, is there like a, have you ever been asked <laughs> to do the Oregon at a baseball game? Or like what is what how do you because I don't even think about it. I just like go to the Mariners game where I go to the, the Atlanta Braves game and we just know we're gonna hear the Oregon. We're gonna it's gonna be there. And sometimes I'm like, is there a real person up? there or is that like a record michael's face looks i don't i don't watch baseball or have been to a baseball game so when oh. you said it again i'm like what are you talking about it's a common yeah, yeah. And i think even basketball games too yeah i think even basketball games too um so yeah i know i know those are positions that are held long time post by someone that has been doing it for a number a number of years. I don't particularly know anyone personally. I don't know any colleagues that have gone um, into those, but yeah, that that's also another option um, and probably is a world of its own. I'm, pre I'm pretty you know, sure that they have their own guild, you know, I'm like sure. a league of sport organists. I'm sure it is <laughs> somewhere, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. What, so what do they do during the games? I'm now very confused. They basically play like little stand tunes. But da da but um, that is oh. very um, at a baseball game. And okay, let me just say for all the relative pitch listeners, if Anthony <laughs> me is talking about sports to others, it means it's a common thing, y'all. Like no, it no, it does not. <laughs> no, it does not. Because literally, I'm over here like. I saw your face freaking out. Like I get to see you spiraling. I was just like, "What?" Yes, yes. Like, well, I mean, I think that goes to the to the point of there are so many opportunities for organists and for other musicians that 
you know, may not be the stereotypical route that you can end up playing in so many different places. And I'm sure you've had students or colleagues that are now doing, you know, many things in many different careers, uh, but they're still playing organ. Um, how about some of those students that you've come up upon? Yes, yes, certainly. Yeah. One thing I noticed here at the UW, they foster interdisciplinary study. So several of my students are double major, computer science and organ, engineering in organ, and engineering in organ could even foster organ building. Somebody interested in actually going into that, that field. Um, uh, medicine and organ. So certainly. And then they, they work their, their regular job during the week, and then they have a church job on the weekend as a part-time organist. I know several people who who do that or um, even theater organ, people who are interested in theater organ and doing silent film accompaniment or playing theater organ concerts. I know somebody who's a lawyer during the day and then goes away on the weekend playing, you know, on um, theater organs. So yes, certainly. This is this is interesting. I love all this. <laughs> I feel like I'm learning, I'm like, I'm literally just like, professor, give me more knowledge. Like I just, I need more of this. <laughs> Like, but well, I'm I'm so interested because as you're talking about now theater organ, we're talking about like the idea of using organ for sports, like that idea of like modern repertoire for organ. What does that even sound like? I'm in my head. I think I'm trying to like imagine like what the push of repertoire is, or like what the conversations around modern contemporary repertoire for organ are like. You know. Yes, the current one of the organists at the Royal Albert Hall in London, Anna Lapwood. She's a new star. She was recently interviewed on Good Morning America and featured on Classical FM. Um, I think she just won a, an award. She is known for taking movie score arrangements and adapting them to the organ. So she started with Interstellar that actually includes organ. That score actually includes organ. Um, and then from there, she did a couple of other Hans Zimmer arrangements. She's done Pirates of the Caribbean, um, that film score. So that's, I know, um, a new venture that the profession is starting to explore because she has been so very successful in gaining friends into the 21st century for the instrument mm -hmm. and thinking in an unconventional um, manner. Um, playing transcriptions, playing orchestral transcriptions, which is not anything new. I mean, at the beginning of the 20th century, late 19th, uh, into the early 20th century, playing, you know, transcriptions by orchestra where one man could do it all really gave the term, you know, king of instruments, you know, to, to, to the organ. And so that's also starting to come back as well. Um, so yeah, yeah, the, the, the profession is starting to venture out video game music, video game scores on the organ. I know there are people that are interested in doing that. So yes, all of these ideas are starting to um, play into the profession, yeah. Okay, now I have the questions. Does organ sheet music look like piano sheet music? There's an extra um stave right so you have treble clef bass clef for the hands and then bass clef again for the feet so there's three mm. that you're reading at the same time i would get so lost wait but then what is it what does it look like if you're playing with an with like a score with an instrument like is it 
So if you have the instrumental part, then there's another, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, that's, so that, that's added. When there's not presets. Okay, so now, okay, whole nother question. Mm. Do you come up with the, the knobs or is that built into the score? It depends on the style. So for instance, Bach rarely wrote registrations into his music, but we have a lot of documentation regarding the performance practice of what you do. Uh, the French, they were very particular. They give you everything they want as far as the registrations for their scores because the instruments built in France were, were so um, specific to the music. So they're very specific. German romantics, no, they don't really give you a lot of information. You have to study the instrument and you can look up what the registration list was like in order to kind of tell and through the study of performance practice. So yeah, it depends on the composer that you are playing. Okay, no, so I'm so sorry. So now to dive in even further. So like the French would give you all the things, right? Are you a person who like listens to them? Or do you like, I like that you said that, but I kind of want to do a little bit differently this way. Mm. Oh gosh, you're trying to get me into trouble. <laughs> That's a legitimate question. I, 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 I try not to be a purist because every organ is different, and also every space is different. Mm. Right, the unnamed stop on every organ is it a reverberant room or is it a dry room? Mm. Also plays into this. Um, so I, tr I, I'm a fan of, you have to know the rules to break them. Yes. So yes. I'm all about context. I, 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 I would never just randomly, you know, I'm just going to pull this stop right now, this trumpet stop and play this quiet reflective piece on this trumpet stop because I'm, you know, I want it to sound angry instead. <laughs> so I like to understand the composer. I like to understand who the composer's teacher was and then I also like to understand where music was going whenever I'm studying any piece um, to understand the relationship to the instrument and how I want to interpret and what sounds I, I, I want to pull. So what you're saying is all musicians should be like organ musicians where we should study more to make sure we can break said rules. Oh, love this. I mean, because music is, I think music is so, the evolution The evolution of music is so fascinating. It's so fascinating from the early vocal works to then how that you know, evolved into like singing in the bars or on the street with the guitar and lute and voice. And then mm -hmm. how that evolved into opera and then how opera evolved into art songs. And so how did that style happen? It, it didn't just happen overnight. Mm -hmm. But what were the social constructs and the artistic constructs? And then, of course, that affected the organ and the organ music, especially in the 19th century, where then organ music was being composed in the symphony style, you know, with Franck. And so where did that come from? What is the influence there? Because then it informs you. You're making an interpretive decisions from an informed place, which, in my opinion, gives you more parameters. It widens your parameters because then you can decide, well, no, I'm not going to go this way. I'm going to go this way instead. And here's why. Okay. Last question. And I will stop like hijacking the whole thing. <laughs> if, for people out there who don't listen to organ, AKA me, 
and other people. What are four big pieces that could get them exposed to maybe different errors or what the organ can do that's not like blasting at the end of Christmas Eve church hymn, Oh, come all ye faithful. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, everybody knows the Toccata and Fugue in D minor by Bach, which we don't even know if it was actually written by Bach. It's attributed to Johann Sebastian Bach, but we don't know if he actually wrote it. Um, there's the Vidor Toccata, Charles-Marie Vidor, the French organist who was organist at Saint-Sulpice. Okay. And also the organ professor at the Paris Conservatory. He later be became the director. I believe there was an English royal for their wedding. That they had the Vidor Toccata played. And this is when their, the weddings were televised. So anybody over the, you know, all over the world could hear the music. So the, the Vidor Toccata, um, Interstellar, the organ part in the movie Interstellar, just to kind of bring it into that film media, is a really cool soundtrack while you're looking at the film because they're they're using an organ in London that's very reverberant. I think it's like, in like a, a church that has like stone material. So it uses the very deep sounds mm -hmm. of the instrument and the organ like uh, uses full organ when the rocket takes off and blasts off. So that's, that's very um, effective. Um, and then I would say, oh, you said four pieces. I saw, <laughs> gosh, can I just stop at three? <laughs> You could go in a direction, but <laughs> okay, I like that. Um, just I, I think for my last question would be, how important was it for you and for your students to find their voice in organ playing, and how long did it take for you to decide this is my voice, this is you know my philosophy on playing this instrument? I'm still finding my voice. Because there's what? There's over 500 years of repertoire. Mm -hmm. And I try to understand it all. Um, some people do specialize, like I'm, I'm a rogue organist or I'm more of a romantic. But I, I am still finding my voice. But I think that's very important to be authentic to yourself. Mm -hmm. um, there are some people who play Bach in a more orchestral romantic way on the organ and it works. It moves you when you, when, when, you know, when you hear it. So, um, and I think you can tell when, when a person is playing and they haven't found their voice. I think that's also apparent in the performance as well. So I think that's, I think that's so important, but I, I think it's an unending journey, mm -hmm. um, you know, an end to a means, you know, unending journey that I'm certainly still still on myself recently I would say in my own practice I'm I'm listening to more um orchestral music and instrumentalists and singers and deciding upon phrasing mm -hmm. because Stravinsky made the comment the the organ is a monster that never breathes because literally you can hold the chord forever that's and true. until you lift that's when the sound stops so phrasing and breath I'm listening to more uh, instrumentalists, especially in, in Baroque music. I'm listening to Baroque ensembles and Baroque chamber groups to understand articulation and on all of that. Um, so yeah, listening to my colleagues and other musicians, listening to a wide variety of styles. Also, I think it's kind of helping me find my voice as well. Mm -hmm. Wow, I mean, this, I feel like I've learned so, I mean, I'm sure there's like more to learn about the organ, but I feel like as a person who's coming with a very limited amount of knowledge about 
how the organ works and all just in general how the organ the careers you can have in it pedagogy this was a, a beautiful introduction for myself i'm sure as well as my colleagues and everyone listening and also to hear about how you found your way to the organ and how you are still on your journey is very inspiring as a student you know who's currently going through especially with all your accolades and things you've already accomplished and to hear that you're like i'm still on this journey i'm still learning and moving forward it's very encouraging very aspirational and just thank you so much for taking time to share your knowledge and your your experiences with us today we really appreciate it thank you my pleasure and so everyone please we'll make sure to link everything um, about dr price below any upcoming events he's doing anything or just whatever sources he wants to share with y'all we'll make sure to link it um, we really hope that this was a very educational and very interesting <laughs> uh, journey we went on together and that you got to experience and thank you for being with us for our first episode of 2024 and we'll see you next time bye, bye, bye.